welcome to the DevCom Games Industry Podcast with your host, Lars Janssen. Welcome to this episode of our DevCom Podcast, bringing you the DevCom experience year-round. Today, I'm very excited to welcome the fabulous Paulina Turnquist, producer for Call of Duty at Activision. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. It's great to have you here, Paulina. Thank you for having me, Lars. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's good. It's good to to reconnect. I mean, the listeners uh, don't know, but we've also worked together in the past, so it's it's really good to have you on the show. Uh, so have also a, a kind of a, a personal interest to ask some questions to see how your journey has uh, has continued since we last uh, worked together. So, um, you know, I, I wanted to start in the beginning uh, and ask you a bit how your your path into the games industry has started. Uh, so why don't you talk a bit about your personal journey, um, you know, the first steps and, and just overall like a rundown, how you got into games and we simply take it from there and talk a bit about your stations um, that you've had in, in recent years. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so I obviously like a lot of people who work in games. I also have the usual start to my journey, which is, hey, I... I I always played games since I was a little child, always enjoyed, like I had my, I think the first platform that I played on was Windows 95 on our home PC and then moved on to PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2 and, and more to the console side, but I always played um, together with my big sisters as a child and uh, it, it was something that I really enjoyed, but like even like growing up, I didn't really think about who was making the games I'm playing. so. Uh, it took me a while to realize that it's something that one can actually make a career out of. And But I feel like the, the real turning point for me in realizing that, hey, like I love playing games and I could also make games, was during my um, university studies. Um, I took this entrepreneurship course uh, that was arranged by the Entrepreneurship Society of my school, Laurea University of Applied Sciences in Finland. Um, so they organized this entrepreneurship course in University of Cambridge in the UK, which was a couple weeks um, and focused really on, on more business topics. But I feel like this was the the one place where where I started to realize, hey, I can make games for a living because I, I ended up in the right crowd of people uh, during this camp. And, and there was a lot of people who were excited about games. And this was the time when like Angry Birds was making their grand rise uh, back in 2013, yeah. I believe was the year. Um, so after I came back from the camp, uh, I had set my mind on the fact that I, I really want to make games uh, and I need to find a way, how can I do this? And one thing led to another uh, and I started my own game company with a couple of friends uh, back in when I was still in school and, and we made mobile games. I mean, it was <laughs> very much learning. I, when I say we started our company, I made mobile games sounds way fancier than it actually <laughs> was. And, um, but, but yeah, so we started just learning things, tried, um, uh, tried things around, tried dabbling with some programming languages, uh, with some game engines, just, just get to know how, how do these tools work that actually make games? Um, 
and that really sparked, uh, I, that was the final spark that, that really uh, gave me the, the sort of determination that this is what I wanted. I, I really enjoyed this. Um, so I applied to a, an internship at Rovio uh, because Angry Birds was really hot at the time and Rovio is one of the most well-known game companies from Finland. And I landed an internship there, uh, which I had a great uh, three months during uh, the summer of 2014, I want to say. Yeah, I think 14. Um, and yeah, that, that was really it. That was the final nail in the coffin. I knew this is what I want to do. Uh, and after that internship, I really like I finished my studies. We, we still ran our, our little game studio with my friends until the end of my studies. And after that, I landed a job at Ubisoft in Paris and, and just kind of started unraveling from there. So did you, uh, when Rovio brought you on board uh, as an intern, um, did you like work on design side of things or was it more of the traditional QA topic that a lot of people use as kind of their, their pathway into the industry? What was your role there and could you could you combine this with, with what you uh, actually did at your own company that you had at the time? So I worked in the live ops team uh, for Ravi or game operations, live operations team, uh, which was a small um, development team and operational team making mostly uh, custom versions of Angry Birds for uh, mostly Asian markets mm -hmm. at the time. Uh, and also focusing on localization and submissions of the games. Um, so it was very, uh, said, like operational, and I got to do a little bit of coordination for the localizations of the games, working with the external vendors, making sure that translations make it to the game and that the developers have what they need in order to um, make these custom builds, uh, especially with the localizations. And then also just helping out with the submissions and all the metadata submissions uh, for the distribution platforms that uh, Rovio was using, so obviously App Store, Google Play, etc. Um, and I, I like, I, I was helping a little bit here and there. Uh, it was more like, I, I think, assistant type of role uh, for this team, but it was really good because I got to see a lot of the the, the behind the scenes of um, kind of when you, once you have already the game, what do you do with it? How do you get it out to the players? How do, how do you make sure that no matter which market you're looking at, you have the right product for there and that your players can play it in their own language? So it was very interesting, very operational um, and definitely something that carried over, if not in practice necessarily, uh, definitely in learnings to even what we were doing in our own company because like I had no idea even what localization was before I did the internship yeah. like oh yeah actually you got to translate your game to different yeah. languages to distribute it in dis different countries so so are the people that you um, created the company with are they still uh, working in games as well or does the company even still exist I'm curious now <laughs> So the company still exists, but uh, it would be what in Finland we would call a drawer company right now. Okay. So it's basically in a passive state where it, um, it, it's not active, it's not taxed, uh, there is no board for the company. But in theory, it, it still exists in the registry uh, in Finland. But um, 
the two friends of mine who I started it with uh, are no longer working in games. They are very successful in their own careers, uh, but in different industries. Uh, we're still really good friends. I mean, we have been since childhood and, and we definitely reminisced our game <laughs> company time still with a lot of warmth in our hearts. But um, but yeah, it was it was really in a, in a mutual understanding when I graduated from school and my parents were also uh, focusing on their studies to like, okay, like we're probably not going to be millionaires tomorrow. We have great game ideas, but but this is probably not going to be paying our bills in a, at least a few years. So, so we kind of agreed, let's go, let's go back out there. Let's learn. Uh, let's, let's collect the know-how and the intellectual uh, assets that we need to make the games that we really want to make. Cause obviously we had great ideas, but absolutely no skills to make those happen. <laughs> um, so we kind of agreed that let's, let's go out there, let's learn. Um, and then we'll keep the company alive in case we ever decide to come back to it one day and just make all those, those great game ideas into reality. Uh, will it happen? Well, we need to see, but it doesn't look too promising right now. But it's good to know. Yes. Well, at least we got one of you uh, into the games industry, which is great. You know. So, um, obviously, you know your own company. You mentioned you did uh, mobile games, uh, and then uh, at Rovio, obviously on the mobile side of things. So, when you came to Ubisoft, was that also mobile, or was that already the shift to a uh, different uh, to different platforms, a different area of game development? So that was actually the shift uh, from mobile to console and PC. And actually it was something that I was really excited about because like back when I started in the industry and, and still until this day, uh, I've been super hungry for knowledge to say different things, um, just learn different things. And I felt like, hey, I've had a, a small glimpse into the mobile side. It was very small, considering that my only real experience from, was from our company and then from Rovio, from the internship. But still, I felt like I've seen mobile. Uh, I want to see what console's like. Um, so when I transferred to Ubisoft, I started directly working on a couple of their um, racing related games, the crew and uh, trials series. Mm -hmm. um, and both were uh, console and NPC games. So how, how was that shift felt for you at that moment? I, and of course, you know, you're, you're curious always to, to learn new things. And, uh, you know, having worked with you, I know that you're always hungry for like, uh, you know, new things to, uh, to complement your, your skill set and, and your knowledge. But I can imagine like when you come from the mobile side of things, and all of a sudden, you see like PC and console, which in many areas is, is different, uh, and still to this day is very different from the more like live ops focused development that you've seen for a long time in, in the field of uh, like web games and mobile games and so on. So uh, was it was it a bit of a culture shock in the beginning? Oh, definitely was. I feel like I still get that sometimes. <laughs> and also, I, I think it was <laughs> like the first time reasons. you moved out of the country, was it? Or did you did you live outside of Finland before? Or was that the first time that you decided also, you know, I'm going to move somewhere else? That was the first time, yeah. So I after, after graduation from school, I just, I, I got this opportunity with Ubisoft and I packed my bags and moved to Paris, to France alone terrified and absolutely had no idea what I was doing but but I, I still went and and yeah it was 
it was definitely a lot to take in uh, because it was a new country, it was a new language. Ubisoft's head office is mainly French speaking. Yeah. I, I did not really speak French when I moved there. Um, so, and obviously the, the whole console and PC switch from mobile. Um, so definitely had a lot of times when I felt like it, oh, this is even a little too much to take in at once. Uh, but it was also like one of the biggest learning learning experiences I've had just because of all the new information I was able to get in terms of game development and just by like listening to the people around me at Ubisoft head office, seeing how the games were being made. I was still in an entry level role, so it's not like my responsibilities were huge, uh, but still I got to be surrounded by like the most important people at Ubisoft and like such talented people who are making some of the coolest games ever. Um, so it, it, it was really, really great. And after the, uh, the first shock of being in a foreign country in a new company and, and doing something that I didn't really know well at the time, uh, after that wore off, like I, I had a great time there and, and I still think back to my, my Paris days and my Ubisoft days with a lot of uh, gratitude. That's good. Do you still speak French? Uh, it's probably a little rusty. I haven't spoken <laughs> right. in a while. I mean, I, I kind of had to learn it there. I would not say I'm fully fluent, but I, I managed. Uh, but I have not really had the opportunity to speak it a lot recently, so probably yeah, take a it's kind of the same here so i'm not gonna, I'm not gonna challenge you because otherwise <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna expose myself here so i'm not gonna, not gonna do it so uh after after the your station at ubisoft was that uh, when you came to germany or was there something uh in between so after a year of working in the head office um uh to be clear, the head, the head office is actually a business office at Ubisoft. So obviously, the, it, there's no game development, or there was not game development in the office where I worked at, uh, but it was more of a publisher office. Um, so I felt like I should learn more about how games are made. Um, and Ubisoft was also very supportive of kind of giving me the opportunity to go on the floor where the games are being made. So in, in this mutual understanding and, and, and Ubisoft making this arrangement, I was able to transfer to the Bucharest studio uh, mm -hmm. in Romania for Ubisoft uh, for like a one-year mission to work on Watch Dogs Legion, which is already out by now, but at the time was still in development. Um, so I transferred from Paris and, uh, internally to the Bucharest office. And I worked there at the studio as a production coordinator for a year. Mm -hmm. And 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 next station then was uh, coming to the company we both worked together, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. So after the the Bucharest um, one year stint that I had, I I I've, as said earlier, I was super hungry for knowledge and like I felt like, hey, I've seen consoles what, what could be next uh so then travion uh, games which we both worked on worked at um in germany worked on browser games so hmm, this could this could be the next step seeing seeing a new thing and also um just getting to see new places uh getting a bit more responsibility because i also felt uh at ubisoft like i could probably be doing more but uh, 
Um, but yeah. So out of personal interest, obviously, I, I need to ask you, obviously, like uh, the role that you that you held at driving games uh, during the time I was I was there as well. Um, how did that, you know, help you or did it help you on your journey to when you then went to Activision and uh, and took on a new role there? So is that, uh, you know, did, did you feel like with all the not only maybe with the role at driving games, but also the roles that you had before, like, uh, did you feel at some point now I'm complete now I can actually uh, you know, move to to uh, a role with even more um, uh, responsibilities, and uh, and then that made you go, uh, join Activision. Yeah, I feel like like I definitely, if I had to name one place where I feel like I've learned the most during my career, it would be the time at Trevian Games, because it was the first time I did a lot of things for the first time. And also, um, what else could you say? I mean, you're talking to the previous <laughs> CEO of Trading Games. <laughs> you couldn't have named any other company. No, <laughs> I, no, I mean, I'm, thanks for the shout out. I'm, <laughs> no, I'm, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm for real being sincere. Because um, it was the first time I, I got a lead position. I was actually mm. uh, managing people uh, in addition to just project management and production. Um, and also I got to take a lot of decisions that I had never taken before in terms of what we're going to do with the game, how we're going to do the game, uh, how we're going to operate as a team. Um, so I had more freedom and more responsibility that I'd ever had in my career until then. There was a lot of learnings, not all necessarily in a positive manner, but still I feel like personally that helped me grow so much and i'm really not saying this because we worked at travion but because it was like such a great place to learn there was risk but not enough risk to scare me off basically from making right. decisions and also i had the the sort of support network there that allowed me to try things without making me feel like i need to be scared if i fail so that was really cool and and i feel like that's the place where I, I confirmed uh, personally uh, with myself that I want to work in console games. Um, I want to work in AAA. And, and also that I love managing people. I like working with people. Um, and I like looking at the, the so-called big picture, um, yeah. thinking about the whole whole game thinking about a long term not just working in the trenches um so yeah definitely a lot of things that i i got from travian that i carried with me to activision um and working on call of duty do i feel like i'm complete no i feel like i'll never probably get there Good. <laughs> uh it's 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 a learning process through and through but um but definitely like that's where I feel like I grew up to the next level where I needed to be to go back to AAA, to go back to a huge AAA franchise such as um, Call of Duty. So we talked a bit about Culture Shock before when you came from mobile to um, PC console. Now, I know driving games pretty well, obviously. So from there moving to Activision, how different was it? Even if you made the, uh, you know, the commitment to yourself that this is where you want to be and you, you saw that as your goal, uh, I can imagine that, you know, changing from a from an environment where, you know, everything is a little bit more flexible, maybe a little bit more family style than towards a, like a super large corporation where uh, everything is, a bit, 
I think at least a bit more structured and uh, you know more and more process focused and like you said where you work on AAA products that affect like millions of players around the world uh, was it intimidating at first when you when you came there was it uh, was it something that you needed a while to adjust or were you like hey here I am I'm gonna rock this world and you know it's it'll be great um, I think it was a, a mixture of the two. I mean, obviously, I gained a lot of confidence working at Travian and seeing some good results from what we were able to accomplish as a team during those two and a half years uh, that I worked there. But at the same time, like to your point, I was going back to AAA and into a huge franchise and into a big, like publicly traded company. Um, so it it was very different in the beginning. I I. Do remember having a lot of growing pains just from like not only the the work being so different but also just again being on a new continent a new country with a new working culture and style um so th there was definitely times when i when i felt again like oh this is a little too much to take in at once um but at the same time like again at activision like things are things are really on a different scale to compared to a lot of the things that I've done in the past. And if nothing else, like it's, it's been again, like such a, uh, already, like I've, I've been here one and a half years, a little over at Activision, but it's been already such a, a like steep learning curve, um, just with everything in room, starting from how, how Call of Duty is ran to how the company operates and everything just like on this, huge scale that is Call of Duty. So it seems like, and I have to, do, to to make this pun at least once, so it was your personal Call of Duty, I guess, to get on to the Activision team to, to work on Call of Duty. Um, uh, I promise it's the only time I'm going to do this. You know, yeah, and it, yeah I, I couldn't resist. Sometimes there's these things, you you, you, know, you got to get them out of your system. And this was one of the things I needed to do, I guess. Uh, I, I wasn't planning on this, by the way. It's not in my notes, you know. But uh, so um, on a more serious note, what I wanted to ask before we obviously try to cover all the details about the next Call of Duty. Um, uh, no, <laughs> what I wanted to ask is um, living in, in you know different countries, uh, actually over a relatively short period of time, you had many different experiences. How do you think um, this was beneficial to you in your current role or maybe also in, in the future? So um, did, I can imagine you collected like many different experiences there. And uh, is there something you can take from this that you can apply in your in your daily role at Activision right now? Yeah, I I feel like it's definitely been helpful to live in even live in different countries and just seeing different work cultures, um, because that has really allowed me to see a lot of different work styles, a lot of different working cultures, a lot of different people, um, in very different environments. And obviously, it's it hasn't always been easy um, because some of these cultures and, and styles have been very different from my own, but I feel like they've also taught me a lot um, about what kind of um, leader, what kind of manager do I want to be? How, what is my personal style? What do I like? What do I don't like? Um, and, and also a lot of this has led to gaining more confidence in the fact that you can really actually be, have your own style because seeing to so many different people, so many different um, ways of working has, has helped me to realize that, hey, I, I, can, I can be myself. I can work how I want to work. 
uh, and and there's nothing wrong with it. And yeah, I feel like at the same time, like talking a lot about how different these cultures have been, different working styles, different types of people. And then what I've also learned uh, working in different countries is that surprisingly, though the ways that the labor is conducted can be very different. Actually, you're solving the same problems everywhere, right. um, yeah. which which obviously has has helped um, to grow me and and to allow me to get better uh, at being a video game producer because I've I've gotten to see so many different people solve the same problems in different ways. So if nothing, it's it's helped me to see how many different approaches you can take at the same problem and solve it so definitely helpful um but not always easy to to work in all these different cultures yeah, and, and different countries so what are your next goals i mean obviously you've been there for a year and a half now so what comes next is, is activision your home now and uh, by the way i'm not gonna you know gonna <laughs> ask you to say things you don't want to but i'm just curious like what, what are your next steps that you see for yourself if any right now is there any particular goals that you have like applying what you've learned in a different role or is that what's what's the next couple of years look like for you well as I say, I'm always keen on learning more and more, um, becoming better at what I do. Um, and I mean, though I've had, and even now have a really like nice, cool job, uh, I definitely don't claim that I know everything or that I'm an, an, um, an expert of, of anything, but at the same time, like I know that production and working in production is something that I enjoy i really enjoy making games rather than the business side and the politics of of getting games out the door uh, so definitely i see myself working in production and uh working my way up hopefully to in the future run studio production for a major major triple a title whether it's call of duty or something else who knows but but i i definitely want to stay in production and work in the studio side yeah, so you're not going to come to the evil side, like not going to make the move <laughs> that I made, you know, from <laughs> from production side to to the business end. Well, politics depends, but, yeah, you know, that, that side. Yeah. No, but it's, it's, it sounds good. And uh, so we, we talked about your journey um, and, uh, you know, the, the different stations that you had so far. And um, I mean, you obviously represent someone who has been, if I may say, relatively successful, like um, over over the years you've been in the industry. And you know, and, and learned new things and, and made your way up and got more responsibility. Um, but I want to talk a bit about, especially also in light of the, you know, the current discussions in the industry of, um, you know, diversity and, and inclusion in, in many areas. Like, I want to talk about the challenges that, that um, people are facing, especially, you know, uh, marginalized groups are facing. Uh, and, and also, to, you know, to some extent, uh, I guess, female uh, developers in the industry still suffer from um, sometimes having it not as easy as their male counterparts to get into certain roles. And so while I don't want to touch, you know, what's actually going on at, at many companies, for example, Activision Blizzard or others at the moment, I, I still want to get your general opinion on, you know, where we where we stand as an industry, but also what kind of challenges maybe you've you faced on your way. I can imagine it wasn't always as easy and, and me being, you know, like a, a white, boring male, you know, <laughs> now in his 40s, I probably haven't encountered some of those uh, of those pitfalls and some of those obstacles 
that that you might have faced so i'm just curious how you see this right now and um uh, and, and how it has affected your your journey so far yeah yeah um so i have personally been fortunate uh not to experience really um like a too too big of issues in terms of being a woman in the video game industry like and when i say too big of issues i'm really talking about um the more more dramatic side that we have seen um that's been raised in in the news and in the media in the recent years uh, as this sort of um diversity issues have been raised uh for major gaming companies but uh obviously like being a woman in this industry and considering how how little there are women compared to men in our industry it there, there's always challenges and and always these situations that make you question uh wh where is the line really um because very often I, I i tell people i i work as a video game producer and and they they, they squint their eyes and they say uh, uh, you mean hr or marketing and i'm like <laughs> yeah. no no i'm i'm a producer oh, so you're not in hr and, and not um, only a producer if i may say you also work on call of duty one of you know the yeah. most well-known <laughs> franchises in the world and an fps game you know to add to that so uh, <laughs> i guess it can be off-putting for some people that think in cliches right yeah yeah absolutely and this is something that like it's it's harmless and it usually comes from a, a place of uh ignorance but it really gets tiring after a while mm. uh to try to explain to people and like i've kind of given up on sometimes explaining to people that like no like women can actually work in other roles than just marketing or or hr not that there's anything wrong with these fields either but but um, definitely a lot of stereotypes still around what women do or don't do. Um, and also there there are some little things that again, like in themselves probably don't come from a, a, a place of um, evil intent from anyone, but they are still definitely something that affects and, and, and sort of impact a lot of women working in our industry and this just, in general like being taken seriously especially when when raising concerns or getting dismissed when you're expressing your opinions um getting comments about the type of clothes you might be wearing like these might all like it, it might be even compliments but in the end like it if you compare the experience of a woman um versus a man in these type of situations it's often very different from each other um and these are just small examples of of what probably a lot of women in our industry are experiencing and and sort of land in the uh if not the the gray area of where is the line then definitely on the the wrong side of it um yeah. but yeah all all these examples they they're really just just small ones and there's a lot of worse things happening in terms of in inequality in the industry and not just the gaming industry, but in general, uh, in the wider STEM sector. But that's why it, it's so important that these discussions are happening right now, uh, in my opinion. And that's why I also personally try to really advocate for as much diversity as possible within the video game industry and within tech, within STEM, um, 
because only through like talking about these things and really advocating for a change can we really start seeing diversity, equity, and inclusion growing uh, in the long term. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I actually, now I feel really bad because I complimented you on a pineapple costume that you were wearing at one of the Travian <laughs> events in the past. So, you know, please forgive me for saying something there. I would have done the same thing if a guy was wearing it. So just, you know, for what it's worth. <laughs> It just popped up in my head that I still remember <laughs> you walking into the room with this thing. <laughs> so and sorry for disclosing it to the audience. You know, we just have a couple million <laughs> listeners, so it's nobody, nobody's going to know. You know. But, um, no. you know, again, on, on a more serious note, I, I couldn't agree more with um, how important it actually is to talk about this, those topics. And uh, I, I'm personally, while I'm not a female developer, I'm still, uh, you know, trying to advocate for this and raise awareness and, and help wherever I can. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted to, to talk to you as well. Um, to uh, highlight uh, the, the issue and and get thoughts on uh, sometimes very personal thoughts on what could be done about it. So, what are your thoughts in regards to what we can do to um, either raise awareness of the situation first, but then also maybe to tackle it uh, to some extent? So, what are what are things that you have thought about? in your current role or maybe maybe before that you've experienced when talking to others that could you know that could be helpful uh and, and could be applied relatively easily for for companies out there especially in the games industry to make life a little easier for people that otherwise might feel excluded and uh and uh, you know at a disadvantage yeah i i mean it's it's very important to acknowledge that while like inequality uh has has been strongly in the news over the couple of years. Um, also, a lot of companies, especially game companies, have started working actively toward a more diverse uh, workforce uh, and more equal and inclusive workplace. And and while this this work is definitely like in 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 the very starting square still for a lot of companies. Uh, it's it's very important that this is happening, uh, whether it is driven by, by all these uh, recent news or not. Uh, and, and the unfortunate side of all of this is that in the light of the recent events, uh, the whole industry is really hungry to see quick results in terms mm -hmm. of diversity and equality. And unfortunately, um, this this problem is not really something that can be tackled overnight because it's it's systematic. It's right. been there for a really long time since the start of the video game industry. Um, so, not something that we can change by uh, by overnight. But there's definitely, I would say, two approach the approaches that should be taken to start working toward a more uh, diverse and, and safe and just welcoming environment for everyone. And, and that's basically taking a short-term and a long-term approach. In short term, there are there are many things that companies can do uh, just to diversify their their current workforce. Whether that it's through uh, more inclusive and and equal hiring practices, or or finding ways to have um, network groups for employees to make sure that um, hiring data and compensation data is transparent, and things like this, the companies can do in short term to make sure that. Um, that they're working towards a more diverse and equal um, workplace for their employees. 
But the challenge with these short-term changes is often, especially when it comes to hiring practices, is that um, it usually means uh, having hiring quotas or, or just trying to hire more women or minorities instead of just, just screening through men's uh, resumes. And the key to understand about diversity is that the point of diversity is not to take anything away from anyone. It's to make sure that everyone has an equal opportunity. Absolutely. And often things like uh, inclusive hiring practices just simply mean that um, you're you're looking at more women's resumes, which is obviously something that's away from the men, men, male candidates. So that's why um, I'm saying you have to take two approaches. You can take the short-term one, but that's really just a short-term solution. And what we really need to be focused on, focusing on uh, is the long-term changes. Um, and that starts from really like from education and from schools. How do we teach our kids? How do we make sure that there is no gender stereotypes around different occupations? And not just in the gaming industry, but just like talking about nurses, about uh, cabin crews, things like this that are very easily associated with the gender and even some of them uh, might have the man uh, in the in the title itself but yeah. what we really need to start breaking is those gender stereotypes starting from the childhood the way we educate children uh, the way we show examples like I think there is a very good picture that I saw circling the internet around the uh, latest presidential election in the US uh, with Kamala Harris um, waving the picture. And then there was a text uh, from a father who said that his uh, daughter had seen that picture and said that, hey, I, I see Kamala, she looks like me. And if she can be the vice president, maybe I can too one day. And that's exactly the types of examples that we need. We need to show our children that, hey, there's a female producer for a FPS game great we need to show them that hey there's a lot of amazing male nurses out there great like which we, we need to start from the ground up and really really start from square one in terms of how do we educate our children and their children not to see different roles with the gender stereotype around them you just made it very clear why I wanted to have you on the show today. <laughs> so this is this is a 100% how I, I feel about this as well. And uh, funny that you mentioned the uh, Kamala Harris example because I saw the same thing. And uh, it was even funnier because my daughter is is now about to uh, to turn seven. She actually said that uh, um, because she speaks English as well, and, and she was like, "Okay, what's going on there?" Uh, and uh, and she saw that little girl, and I explained it to her a little bit, and she's like, "Yeah, well, why why wouldn't she be, you know, vice president or president uh, after all at some point?" And so you can see that a lot of that I think is is not by nature but is kind of taught or uh, by society and, and learned and i think you mentioned stem earlier a lot of uh, a lot of girls are i think discouraged um, um by stereotypes from from entering you know the stem field and also entering video games and uh, i think we need those role models we need those examples like it, it can be done and there's there's nothing wrong about it you know at the same time there's nothing wrong about uh, men actually working in a kindergarten you know and, and uh, helping to uh, to raise kids or educate kids so I think um, yeah. th this is this is very important, and and it kind of triggers a little bit of a follow up question because I oftentimes, being an advocate for for you know diversity, equality, and inclusion myself, you know, I run into um, people that say like, but 
you know, girls just don't like that stuff. And uh, it's always been like that. There's nothing wrong with it. You know, they have all the opportunities. They can just join the industry and, and you know, look at Paulina. She, she's a producer, so, you know, it works. So what would be your answer to, to people like that? What, what would you say? Why does it matter to raise awareness? And why are more diverse teams actually better for our industry? I feel like it's it's all about perspective and it's all about how 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 you view things. Um, I mean, obviously, I I even wrote on my LinkedIn uh, last week that the more, most uh, creative ideas spark from um, diverse collectives, and that's really something I hundred percent stand behind of because uh, being a even for me being a white woman from the Nordic countries, like I I've grown um, in a certain way, surrounded by a certain type of society um, or a community. And and it has taught me uh, some ways of, of, of thinking uh, and a lot of how I operate is because of where I grew up and the people who I was surrounded by. But then uh, getting back to what we talked about earlier about working in different countries, seeing these different cultures, seeing different types of people, uh, different types of working ways of working uh, has made me really truly understand how very narrow and funneled my my way of viewing the world mm. is uh, being being the person that I am from where I am and and that's something that a lot of people who say that like there's nothing wrong with the way way we do things now and this is just how the world is like that's the one thing that uh, they often lack this perspective of like how differently some people view the world and only through this different ways of viewing the world can we really um, find, it sounds very cliche now, but find true uh, creativity uh, because the, the world is full of different types of people who have different feelings and different reactions to different things. And if we only approach things like entertainment with video games from certain angle, that means that we're only targeting a certain type of audience uh, who are going to be ticked by what we're doing. And, and if you really want to make something for the entire world, you need to understand the different types, the different ways of thinking, whether it's in Asia, it's in Europe, it's in Africa, it's in, in the Americas. You really need to understand your whole market, the, the whole collective to which you're, you're trying to uh, provide your entertainment for. Um, so getting a little off topic here, uh, because this is something that I, I really care about, but I think that people who, say that the current situation is fine. I mean, it's. I, I would just tell them that the discussion that's happening right now is so important. And and if someone not see the value in diversity and in what we're doing, then yeah, I'm kind of running out of words here. <laughs> Honestly, it's a little bit the same here. Um, I just, I would just simply say it's, it's not good enough. It's not good enough to stay where we are in that regard. And you made a very valid point that the audience that we're trying to appeal to with our products and with what we do in general 
is as diverse as the teams should be. You know, there are, there are so many different gamers out there. For a long time, people thought like, you know, the gamer is usually like between 16 and 25 years old. It's He's male and maybe even white, you know, and <laughs> other people are not playing games. And it's we all know that's it, it's just not true. This, this is complete nonsense, uh, which is recently here in Germany, um, we're a member of the, the association. Um, we did uh, research and uh, I can at least say for Germany, 50% of gamers are female. They might not all play the same games. You know, people have different tastes. But this is something that I think people need to understand in general that a gamer is not a gamer you know they 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 play different things they they have um different favorites and so i think if you want to appeal to a very diverse audience you need like you said you need to have diverse teams that understand this from a not only from a gender perspective but uh when it comes to i don't know to sexuality when it comes to um different cultural backgrounds you know if, if i come from germany i do not understand what a person that you know grew up in brazil in in the completely different environment might actually enjoy in, in a game or or then if we talk about china or or other or, or russia you know they all have different um perspectives i think and uh, so what you said i think is really uh, hitting the nail on the head because this is um uh, what what people need to understand but <laughs> i agree with you sometimes i'm also at a loss of words when people say like well it, it's it's fine you know i don't see the problem at all <laughs> so uh, yeah you're not alone in in sometimes struggling with finding the the right answer to this um because it's just a different uh, view of the world i think so yeah and i, I feel like it's just to add also um that i think it's really like the the reason why we are where we are right now especially with game industry with this diversity and and inequality issues is because these conversations have not happened and is because for so long people have thought exactly in that way that but hey, we, what's wrong with where we are right now? We have some women working in games. We have male men working in games. The men are making the games. What's the problem? And that's exactly why we are where we are right now, where there is a lot of issues. And that's why we have to talk about this and we have to work actively to try to diversify the workforce, uh, not only in the gaming industry, but as I said, the whole, the whole STEM industry and beyond. Absolutely. I, I want to use the um, the diversity and inclusion topic a little bit to f for a segue into, uh, you know, the still ongoing pandemic uh, that we unfortunately have to live through. So I'm just curious, like, what the impact um, was on and how we make games, but maybe with a focus on um, has it changed anything for people that m might have had a harder time uh, getting into the industry, maybe also for uh, for women in, in games? Did it change the environment to make it more inclusive, to, to make it easier? Uh, maybe uh, did the pandemic help in a weird way to uh, kind of do away with the frat boy culture that we see in some, some companies because everybody's like, you know, working remotely and you don't experience these, these, these things that often. What are your thoughts in that regard? Well, I feel like the, the past year has definitely um, been something that like most teams, uh, most companies have really had a lot of learning to do over the past half and one and a half years uh, with the pandemic and everything. And, and as I said, like a lot of teams have had to learn a completely new way of working largely through trial and error, at least uh, speaking personally. Uh, but 
it's I I think this whole working from home and and everything that we've been through it's it's if nothing it's been a very individual experience for a lot of people um as like some people obviously they like their own space they they like to be able to work from home from their private space uh, whereas some people are really, really social uh, and really creating that office environment, having that work community uh, physically surrounding you on a daily basis. Uh, so I think regardless of which camp you belong to, there's been a lot of learnings. Um, uh, just things like like the amount of SharePoint documents I've used uh, compared to when we were at the office is just astounding from the past year. Um, but in terms of the DNI side uh, of all of this, I think uh, like during this pandemic and and even before the pandemic started, like this has uh, gotten more and more more and more important in a lot of organizations' agendas, and I feel like these conversations that we're having right now and a lot of the recent events, like this would have happened sooner or later, pandemic or not. Uh, because it was basically just uh, on a timer uh, for everything to happen. But uh, I do think that it has helped driving the agenda um, because we rely a lot more on data than before, uh, just working from home. And seeing the numbers instead of seeing your best buddies at the office might really uh, be a wake-up call to some folks because a lot of the diversity stuff, like, is not necessarily driven by an evil agenda or something that's conscious, consciously being driven, but it might, it's, it's very oftentimes just ignorance. And like working from home, working with a lot more data than before, uh, people might actually get a wake up call saying that, hey, our, our gender distribution between our uh, engineering teams is absolutely terrible. Um, or, and things like this. Um, and I feel like I've personally seen uh, positive things come out of the pandemic in terms of DEI. Uh, but of course, one thing that it has complicated is um, the fact that we are having to have uh, these very important conversations that are happening right now, virtually uh, mostly. And doing this completely or mostly virtually can definitely tone down some of the emotion and the the need behind all these cries for change that we're hearing right now. So I feel like to to summarize it, I think there's there's positives in terms of DNI that we're seeing from from just transitioning to work from home and in a more data driven environment. But at the same time, uh, there's definitely things that could be better uh, and probably would be a lot more powerful if we were able to come together physically to talk about these things. Yeah, I think as human beings, ultimately we are hardwired for uh, you know for social connection, and uh, you know it, it, I think that those conversations, like you said, um, are extremely important, and hopefully. Uh, in the upcoming months or at least the latest next year, we'll be able to have more of those uh, those conversations in person again. Uh, as I think it would also be beneficial to the to the outcome. Now. So, the last thing I wanna uh, I wanna ask you uh, in this in this session is, um, 
if you look back at, at your personal journey uh, and you had the chance to give some advice to like the 18 year old self or for that matter, other, you know, 16, 18 year old girls or even younger that want to get into the games industry or that thinking about doing something unconventional, you know, uh, and, and really become a producer for Call of Duty or some other FPS games, <laughs> whatever they prefer. Uh, what would you say, you know, what are your key recommendations or takeaways um, that could be helpful for women that want to um, make their journey and write their own book in the games industry? I would say to them, just go for it. Um, I, I'm pretty sure a lot of women, a lot of girls feel uncertain about working in the games industry right now because of all these discussions that are happening and have been happening for a while. Uh, but this is exactly the time where we need women in and all gender minorities uh, in the industry uh, because only through this diversification, pretty sure that's a word, uh, can we really start changing this, this, this landscape that we have right now? Um, and it, it, there's, there's great resources for female gaming professionals in the video game industry, like just everything from like the, for example, Women in Games International Organization, ICDAS Women's Special Interest Group, and, and really many more great initiatives out there um, that drive diversity and women's presence in the industry. Like there's a lot of resources. There's a great community. It's, it's really like we're working in entertainment and, and like, I, anyone who, who dreams of working in video games or, or is even slightly interested, like I would tell them like, go for it, uh, be confident, uh, take on the challenge, uh, fake it till you make it <laughs> and, and, and just explore because like, while, while we talk a lot about these serious things that are happening in the industry, uh, working in video games is also very, very fun. Like I've, I've had a blast during my career uh, just working on different games with different people in different countries. And and if anything, I, if I was able to go back to my, my young self back in still in school, I would say, like, don't hesitate for a second to do all those things that you're about to do because you're going to have a great time doing it. Uh, and as long as you stay confident and and make sure that you, you just, you know, pump out your chest and lift up your chin, like, you can do anything. That's what I would tell myself. I would tell any other girl out there. What great words of encouragement. Thank you so much, Paulina, for uh, agreeing to be part of this um, DEFCON podcast. Uh, it was a pleasure to have you here. It's always great to reconnect with you. And uh, I can't wait to see where your journey takes you next. Um, and, uh, you know, next time we talk, maybe <laughs> you're then uh, in charge of, uh, you know, a studio, like you said earlier, or something that um, that really uh, helps you, you know, develop further and, and also act as an advocate and ambassador for, for women in games uh, even more than you do right now. Again, thank you so much. Um, for uh, coming here today. Uh, it was a pleasure and uh, looking forward to the next time we meet. Thank you, Lars. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the DevCom Games Industry Podcast presented by DevCom.Global produced by Sven Vossing Executive Producer Stefan Reichart Music by WeLoveIndies.com Supported by Biodynamic, high-quality headphones, microphones, and conference systems for professional musicians and gamers. Made in Germany. <laughs>